Hi, this is Brandon, and welcome to the Crucible of Thought podcast. I'm here to talk about things that interest me and things that I think the Lord has brought to my attention. And today's episode is titled, Was the Bible Created, Intelligently Designed, or Evolved? For the last few months, I've been starting to come to grips with the scholastic world of what I might call scriptural archaeology. That mass of information about the history of the biblical texts, their original sources, the layers of editing apparent in some of the books, just kind of like the layers of ruins and ancient foundations underneath major cities. In short, all of the ancient evidence about how the current appearance of the Bible relates to its deep and often hidden history. I've also become increasingly aware of the history of the specific collection of books that we modern Christians call the Bible, and how it's developed over time, and in fact how different Christian traditions such as Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Evangelical, and Mainline Christian have different ideas about what constitutes the Bible. Its history is also complex and fraught with many twists and turns and archaeology of its own. In this sense, one might consider the Bible to have evolved over time. And just like there's a debate among the more scientifically-minded Christians over the topic of evolution of the species and, of course, the evolution of mankind itself, one might discuss whether these changes in what we call the Bible were a natural evolution or were guided directly by the hand of God, an intelligent design of the scriptures, as it were. Well, when I was much younger, I simplistically understood the Bible to be incredibly static. This is perhaps not surprising, partly because over the course of my life of just a few decades, which is a mere blip on the scale of the biblical timeline, it has been essentially static. But because of this fact, I believe that I'd assume that the Bible was essentially springing fully formed from the mind of God. Perhaps each book was written at different times, but nonetheless, each one appeared to me to have been fully and completely written by God himself, merely with a human scribe. Thus, I present this musing about some ways in which the scriptures came to be. Was it evolved, or intelligently designed, or created? For most of my life, I've believed that if God did create the world, he chose to do it through the processes that are self-evident in the universe around us. As a person with a long history in the sciences and a passion for general knowledge and a propensity to study all kinds of science merely for its own sake, I've never been able to reconcile the world that I see with an instantaneous creation ex nihilo. A major reason for this sense is that it would require me to believe that God created a huge amount of false evidence to fool mankind into believing that the universe and the earth and all the species are very old millions and even billions instead of a few thousand years. I cannot imagine why God would do this when he reveals himself in the Bible as a God of truth, as the embodiment of truth. For example, when I look at the Grand Canyon in all its majesty, I can easily see much evidence of millions of years of history, including types of rock and strata and a variety of fossils from vastly different epochs, I would need to accuse God of lying to mankind to believe that he created it all in a 40-day flood. You see, that conflicts with everything that I know about God's core nature of truth. Well, it occurred to me then that much the same thought process applies to the Bible itself. There's much that we know about the very nature of mankind and the development of our processes of communicating in writing and orally. 
We have several millennia of well-documented and well-understood human history, apart from or external to the Bible, including archaeology, but also many other different forms of research. There are many thousands of ancient examples of written communication that inform us deeply about the creation and the development of languages over the millennia. Specific to the Bible, we can trace the evolution of the Hebrew language starting from various similar Semitic languages long before the time of Jacob, to Proto-Hebrew writing through to the earliest written true Hebrew dialects, then into Biblical Hebrew and eventually into modern Hebrew. Within the communities that do study these matters, there's a broad agreement about these processes and timelines. More and more archaeological evidence appears from time to time that refines, but generally supports the existing understanding. And aside from an occasional burst of new understanding, the scholarly consensus is fairly well established and nearly universal. When one applies these scholarly principles to the biblical texts, one's confronted with a choice. We either continue to believe that the Bible was created ex nihilo in its current form, free of any evolution, or we must admit that the process could not possibly have been so clear and simple as we would like. And if we don't accept such an unevolved creation narrative of the text itself, then we almost have to consider whether it evolved naturally or whether it was intelligently designed, so to speak. Did God allow man to write his story as the wide variety of individuals each wished, or did he guide them carefully to ensure the appropriate final result? Well, it's pretty clear to me that the Bible did not spring from the mind of God fully formed, but that it was written with a wide variety of methods and dialects by a wide variety of contributors, and most of them will be forever unnamed. Now, one refrain I hear often about the trustworthiness of the Bible is that we must believe that it's inerrant, at least in the original autographs, that is, the first copy written by the original author. However, there are really some major troubles with this assertion. For one thing, no such autographs exist for much of the New Testament, and one simply cannot exist for much of the Old Testament. We simply have no proof of an original copy for any of the Gospels or Epistles of the New Testament, and newly discovered texts from time to time don't even all agree with each other in numerous important details, although there is some general consensus on what portions are trustworthy and canonical. And for the Old Testament, the date of the supposed writing of many of the books, especially the critical five books of the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy, was well before the earliest evidence exists of any written Hebrew language. At best, scholars have determined that there's some evidence of an ancient Egyptian hieroglyphic script that may exist from around the time of the captivity in Egypt, when Moses rose as a leader of the Hebrew people. And one scholar has asserted, but this without broad agreement by the, the larger community, that the first Hebrew alphabet was created by Moses himself from a handful of the many thousands of Egyptian hieroglyphs. But that was at best a maybe call it a proto-Hebrew written dialect, and it really wasn't in common use for at least hundreds of years after Moses passed away. So if Moses effectively had no written Hebrew language in which to record those, quote, autographs, the only logical conclusion is that he, in fact, did not write those books, at least in any sense that we use the word write. And if he did write them in the converted Egyptian alphabet that he supposedly designed, 
Well, that script was so rudimentary that it would be impossible to convey the range of information and meaning in the later copies. Going deeper into this conundrum, we also discovered that various portions of many of the Old Testament books, and especially the Pentateuch, show very clear evidence of multiple authors, in particular by exhibiting a startling variety of dialects and time frames of authorship even within a single book. Many scholars at this point agree that most of the Old Testament's Pentateuch and history books were compiled into a written form in about the 8th century BCE, which is during or even potentially after the Babylonian captivity, which is as much as a thousand years after the events in those stories, and long after the dates asserted in the, the introductions to the chapters of many study Bibles. So, an honest review of the archaeological and scholarly evidence leads me to conclude that there simply are no original autographs of any of the books of the Bible, and more stunningly, many of the books that we do have cannot have been written, quote-unquote, as we simplistically thought. Now, as an aside, this means that the evangelical assertion that the Bible is inerrant in its original autographs or manuscripts is absolutely pointless. They don't exist. And so, functionally, the Bible that we have cannot be said to be inerrant, if that's the definition of inerrant. And any attempt to claim, therefore, that a particular translation, like King James, for example, is inerrant, is deceptively self-serving. That assertion cannot be proven in any meaningful way, and this leaves the teacher with carte blanche to assert anything he wishes about the text. So, as a rational being who desires to know truth intellectually at least, what do I do with this information? Well, my first instinct is to assert that God, in his supreme intelligence, foreknew that this entire process would take place, and he positioned the right men to accurately record his true word for posterity. And even their fallibility was one of God's tools to have his word properly recorded. After all, he's infinite and infinitely aware and infinitely powerful, and surely he could bring this to pass. But while that's an attractive theory and would eliminate a lot of my concerns, I'm beginning to find even this is rather simplistic. For one thing, as I've begun to study the Bible's history, I find compelling areas of internal disagreement in the text. For example, there are two creation accounts in Genesis 1 versus Genesis 2 and 3, and they bear some rather striking differences. There are two accountings of the king's and the history of Israel that also bear some rather striking differences. There are genealogies that don't completely line up with each other. and There are many other messy, discongruous aspects to the Bible. While it's tempting to try and rub out these issues and make them go away by presenting them as mere parallel retellings of the same stories or coming up with rational explanations of those apparent disagreements, but this idea bothers me. Why would God do that? If he were intelligently designing his perfect word, his perfect history, then why introduce such disparities in the first place? Why force mankind to play these games and then likely to arrive at incorrect conclusions? Why not simply make it utterly clear and unambiguous? Even a human author would do that if his goal was to present a unified, easy-to-follow picture of the deity about which the book was written. I mean, no human would design a religion owner's manual like that. And that raises the other thing. 
I desperately want there to be a simple, easy-to-follow rulebook for my religion. I don't want God to be complicated. I find it painful to consider the need for complexity and interpretation and wrestling with a messy text. But I'm coming to believe that wasn't the reason that God has for giving us his word. Rather than a simplistic rulebook written by God, I'm beginning to understand the Bible as, well, a messy human document written by flawed men that were themselves wrestling with this infinitely complex and deeply other God. The point of the Bible is not to be a rule book, but to guide us into our own wrestling match with God. And much like Jacob wrestled with God and forever walked with a limp, we too are expected to wrestle with God to the point that that wrestling match forever changes us too. Wrestling with a book won't do that. Only wrestling with the Creator Himself can do that. Because When we're wrestling with a book, we can decide how we want to interpret it to suit our doctrine or our existing assumptions about the God that it describes. In fact, that is perhaps one of the strongest arguments to me for understanding the true nature of the Bible. When I review various English translations, comparing, for example, what the ESV or King James or NIV or NASB, there are often significant differences in meanings by the words and phrases that have been chosen to translate the oldest known original texts. Pick any controversial topic and you'll find major disagreement in the resulting translations. This ultimately occurs because the translators, despite their determination to accurately represent the meanings in the original language, were still approaching their job with a latent set of often unconscious biases and understandings about the nature of God and the Bible itself and the subject matters at hand. And even when I go back myself to an original language source, like an interlinear translation, and I consider all the possible meanings of a given Greek or Hebrew word, I'm still using my own cognitive biases in selecting one of them. What do I want it to say? It always creeps in there. And recognize, after all, that there are only about 8,700 unique Hebrew words in the Bible, compared to about 11,000 unique English words. There's a lot of room for varying interpretation of the Hebrew. Many Hebrew words have multiple possible interpretations, depending on the context you find the word in. So, with all this in mind, I simply cannot assert with any humility that I'm correct in any given understanding of the Scripture, or that I've necessarily picked the right translation to use. The only thing I can do is to wrestle with God over it. That's to allow His Holy Spirit to show me things, sometimes even things not necessarily present in the text, and invite me into conversation with him about it, and to let his living word, Christ, be the answer, instead of trying to force my mind into the confines of the written word. In so doing, I think I'm walking down the same path as Paul or Peter or any of the other New Testament authors wrestling with the text and sometimes being asked by the Lord to upend some aspect of intellectual understanding and to be confounded by a Holy Spirit word that in some mystical way goes beyond the mere text. Now, naturally, my brain, long trained in evangelical theology, says, danger, danger, you're setting yourself up as your own God over the Bible. It's supposed to be the other way around. You let the word conform you to itself, and God will never speak against the Bible when he speaks to you. Okay, but I think that misses the point. It's not setting myself up over or against the written word. It's recognizing the limitations of the written word and being keenly aware of the scriptures that tell me that the word points to the living word, Jesus, to Christ. 
And I think there's solid precedent in the Bible itself for this principle. Consider Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, where all of his very solid and very well-trained understanding of the Hebrew Bible was upended by a supernatural encounter with Christ. Or consider Peter's vision, where God reframed the Torah's dietary laws at the same time as he reframed the separation between Jew and Gentile. Okay, so you'll argue, these stories are in the Bible. That's part of the historical record, and we can't use that to allow for such things to happen today. All that flux ended at the time the Bible was completed, right? Okay, I will respond, when was the Bible completed? There was significant disagreement until the 4th century or so about what even constituted the Bible. And even since then, new discoveries continued to reveal aspects of the so-called original text that were in fact added later than that to cover over some uncomfortable challenges to interpretation. Consider the upheaval in the biblical world when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, and were found to reframe our understanding of a number of Bible texts. And as I noted in the very beginning of this article, there's still significant disagreement between Orthodox and Catholic and Evangelical and mainline Christians about which books are canonical. Even within the non-Catholic and non-Orthodox world, Christians disagree about the validity of several New Testament books, notably Revelation. So what is, quote, in the Bible is not even really fully settled today. Now, as another aside, it's worth noting that one key verse that many evangelicals quote to support the absolute lockdown nature of the Bible, which is Revelations 22.18, if anyone adds to this book, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. Well, that itself is stated in this book, which was of long disputed reputation and canonicity. And that doesn't even begin to address the misinterpretation of the phrase, this book which refers to this book of John's Revelation itself and does not necessarily refer to the entire Bible. That's an interpretation. So I'm increasingly the opinion that many Christians, in fact, idolize the Bible itself over and against Christ to whom it points. And when there's a dispute between <clears throat> what Christ is saying through the Holy Spirit and the Bible, well, for them, the Bible wins every time. But what I see in the scripture is a clear and bold statement that Christ is the living word, and only he is fully trustworthy and fully worthy of all honor and praise. So, given the long and difficult and complicated history of the written word and the current variety of interpretations, I find it impossible to believe that the Bible is actually complete in the sense that I really wish it would be complete. It would be much easier to believe, as I used to, where any and all questions can be readily and simply answered by a suitable application of the proper verse and chapter. Consider that if I do, in fact, believe that God is infinitely able to foresee the future, then I must also admit that he absolutely knew that this uncertainty would exist. He knew that we would end up with a messy, complicated set of texts of uncertain origin and inability to guarantee that any given translation is correct or inerrant. If he's infinitely powerful, he could have easily created a text with utter traceability and lack of ambiguity that would be timelessly unquestionable. But he didn't. Why? My only conclusion is that he didn't want to do that. For some reason, he must have wanted it to be messy and complicated, and inscrutable. If I truly believe that he authored the Bible, then I must also believe that he authored its messiness and its controversy. And again, why? 
Well, you see, now I believe that any and all questions about God and his kingdom and our relationship with him can only be answered by the suitable application of the Spirit of God, informed but not controlled by verse and chapter. And it says, he will point me to all truth, and that truth is Christ, the word incarnate, not the written word. Faith comes through hearing, it says, and hearing by the word. So the written word is the genesis of this process. It's not the end of it. And it's what allows me to begin to hear the Spirit. So the written word points me towards God. And I'm not intended to worship the written word, but rather the living word. If I refuse to listen to what the living word reveals to me because it conflicts with a rather messy written word, I've missed the mark. And I'm likely to miss something that he is trying to to say to me or to do in me or to do through me. Well, here's the thing. This belief structure contains a very serious implication. It places on me a very serious and a very sober requirement for a lively and trustworthy and viable relationship with the living God, such that I can hear his voice accurately. There's no allowance for letting anyone else do the hard work for me. No pastor or elder or teacher can carry that load. They may hear the voice of God for them, but I can't assume it to replace his voice to me. Well, I can anticipate another argument here. It says, but God put those people into our lives to help us grow and mature and stay safe from false interpretations. Well, okay, but I think we've extended it much too far. We've effectively handed the keys to our spiritual car over to them, and we trust them to hear God for us instead of to confirm what God is saying to us personally. And I call that McDonald's Christianity, basically saying, Pastor, I'll give you my tithe, and you provide the burger and fries. I, I just don't have the time or inclination to kill the cow or dig up the potatoes. Well, what if, instead, our relationship with those people was walking together, teaching each other how to hear God ourselves, and relying on the Holy Spirit in each other to point out when we might miss the mark? That's a really long way from letting someone else do the hard work and just swallowing whatever doctrine they present because we assume they're God's voice for us. I'm sure that this discussion rocks a few boats. This thinking certainly has rocked my own boat, and I've been at it for a while. And I'm also sure that these conclusions are utterly unacceptable to many evangelical Christians. Well, I, I was one. I sort of grew up in that, and I know that I flat out rejected such thoughts for decades, even when I became aware of the messy nature of the Bible. I just assumed if there had to be some simple answer that tied it all together if I just studied long enough and hard enough and memorized and internalized enough scripture verses. But as I discovered that not to be the case, it's deeply disconcerting, but I find it's drawing me closer to God himself. Learning the limitations of the Bible leaves me needing to depend on the one who it reveals. And you know what? I think that's the whole point anyway. Thanks for coming along on this journey with me. Be blessed, and we'll talk again soon. <music>